From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Are You Not Entertained? Joining me this week for our favourite little segment, Goal Own Goal, is my main man himself, the man from the lake, Roger Mitchell. Hi, mate. Oh, he's muted. He's got his mute button on. This is this is what this is the wonders of live TV. I've not got the I've not got the mute button on, have I? Yes, you did. And there's people out there watching Roger that can back me up. If you but want not to anymore. Road, we can go down that road. <laughs> It's, it's okay now, you can hear me now, yeah? Yeah, yeah, got you now. How are you, mate? Good, I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Very well, yes, very, very well indeed. I am uh, I'm in California, the weather is spectacular. Um, life is good, Rog, life is good. Uh, now, we have another goal on goal this week, which is great. Um, we, we don't get a chance to do these enough, you and I, certainly not with people watching us, so we have to be slightly polite. But uh, polite we shall be. Um for those of you you're going to have to carry me a little bit tonight, uh, Grant. You're going to have to carry me a little bit tonight. I have had significantly too much wine at a family Excellent. meal this afternoon. So um, well, there we go. So, uh, it's slightly so worrying means, that we don't have we don't have the safety net, but um, you 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 you're an expert at this stuff. I'm just going to let you talk as much as possible. <laughs> I, I, I just promise to be digging you out afterwards. Well, look, I tell you what, then um, why don't I let you have first crack at your goal or own goal? What do you got for me? Yeah, my. my um, own goal. I'm going to ask you a little bit, Grant, because you come from the world of um, business, you come from the world of ethics and regulation and SEC and everything like that. I'm going to take you through a scenario and get you to comment on it. So um, Mr. W uh, is a senior executive at a major luxury car company, a listed luxury car company. Mr. S um is a major shareholder at another luxury car company. They are competitors at the high end of the market. Both of them have got sporting arms. Mr. W is the chief executive of his company's sporting arm, and he competes with Mr. S's uh, team that plays in the same uh, field. The field I'm talking about, obviously, is Formula One. So uh, this is the scenario I'd like you to comment on. Um, Total Wolf at a certain point in time, buys certain shares in Aston Martin, quoted company, uh, from Mr. Stroll at what now uh, will be seen at a relatively low price. There's a share graph that shows more or less when he came in at. Um, Since then, the shares have gone up quite significantly on a couple of pieces of news. First piece of news is that another senior executive from Mercedes... Um, agrees to join Aston Martin as their chief executive, causing the share price to go up and causing Mr. Wolf's shareholding to increase significantly in value. Now, some of us uh, in the world of finance may be already reaching for the word front-running, or we may not. It depends how you look at the world these days. Not suffice with that... Mercedes then decides to itself 
buy more of Aston Martin. That causes the share price to go up even more. So Mr. Wolf is um, sitting on a paper profit in the tens of millions. I don't know how much it is. So he's done, um, he's doubled his money. He's doubled his money. And I think um, he invested, I don't know what it was, maybe 20 million. So he's probably selling about a 20 million profit. The reason for the uptick in the in the share price is because, as I say, uh, another major senior executive from Mercedes went to join Aston Martin, and then Mercedes itself took a significant stake in Aston Martin. That caused Total Wolf to be under investigation. I don't know by whom. I don't know uh, exactly uh, who was trying to opine on this legally, but he was exonerated. So there is no crime here. There is nothing that I'm going to... Um, moan and wail about all i would like to say is that it's a bloody funny game it's formula one these people are meant to be competing (laughs) with each other are they not and um they've got cross share holdings in each other they're switching executives if one remembers the the parts fiasco with um with Stroll's, uh, with Stroll's team and Mercedes offering them parts, it makes you wonder, really, what is going on at Formula One and what is destined to become even more of an issue as they have to get more and more incestuous when the new rules come in. So as a finance doyen, as somebody who many people look to as a, a kind of like a North Star for ethics in the business world. Do you or do you not believe that Mr. T. Wolf was front-running? All right, there's so many angles to come at this, Rog. First of all, if you look at the the place where Toto bought his shares there and you see where, I guess that second red circle is where Mercedes came in, Rog, is that right? And bought their shares? so, yeah. Yeah. So, look, he's basically not made any money between the two, which I would probably argue is how he got exonerated. Um, ultimately, between the two, he didn't make any money, right? And that is what that's five, six months that he's um, he's been in the shares. So that I would suspect, had it done what it did immediately after he bought them and kept going up, then he might have had a more significant problem on his hands. However, the big thing for me here, Roger, I've got to be honest with you, is the fact that this is more symptomatic of a broader problem in society at the moment, right? Um, when you look at the things that people get away with now, there was a time 25, 30 years ago when regulators had teeth and and they would come after you. You know, I, when I was in the game and, and trading these things in, in New York and London and Hong Kong and Tokyo and Sydney and all sorts of places, there was a fear about the regulators. There was a, a, not a fear of, oh, I don't want to do anything wrong. It was, I hope I've done nothing wrong inadvertently because you know, I got I got tangled up tangentially in a couple of investigations that turned out to be, you know, nothing was wrong, which was clear from the get go. But that didn't matter. These things can take years to to mm-hmm. to go through in multiple rounds with you know lawyers taking statements and what and God knows what. And in the end, you were never told that the case was closed. It would just go away. So there was a point in time where people feared the regulators and feared doing anything that even looked uh, untoward because if it looked untoward, there was a chance it would get flagged. Now, I could be charitable and say that there is so much more going on that arguably the regulators are understaffed and can't see a lot of these things. But 
I just don't think that's the case. I think when you look at some of the things that are prosecuted, and if you follow things like the SEC on Twitter, you'll see them crowing about, you know, getting a $39,000 fine off some guy who made four hundred grand from yep. a boiler room operation. Meanwhile, Elon Musk commits securities fraud, blatant securities fraud, to the tunes of billions yep. of dollars in full view, is actually prosecuted for it, comes to a settlement which the, the only advantage to him is that you know, he doesn't have to – he's not – he he's, he loses the right to be chairman of Tesla, big whoop. He's still a director. He keeps the, the money he made, um, but the the kind of the punishment is that he can never in future deny having committed securities fraud. They didn't convict him of securities fraud, but he can never now deny having committed it. What does he care? He's just made himself a few billion dollars more. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's this kind of hands off approach to to big high profile targets. Doing all kinds of things behind the scenes, whether it's be you know buybacks from enriching their own uh, pocket, uh, pockets or getting their options into the into the um, into the money, it doesn't matter. It's happening more and more at very very high levels, yeah. and the regulators are refusing, it seems, to prosecute them. But it's not just financial regulation. Now coming back to Tesla, we've seen um, more incidents than I care to count of Tesla autopilot failures where people are getting killed. And the NHTSA, which is the, the, the National Highway Transportation Safety Authority, I think is the is the acronym, is seemingly refusing to investigate them, not just having a look and exonerating them, but but seemingly it's like, what do you need to see before you'll start investigating this stuff? Now, there are investigations ongoing finally, but I think, Rog, the broader problem here is important to understand. And I think it's one that if you start to see stuff like this getting cracked down upon, I think that's a big sign that there are very important shifts changing, and and you know not to get too maudlin about this stuff on on a podcast that's supposed to be fun. It comes back to the disconnect between the haves and the have-nots in society: the ninety-nine percent, the one percent, the rich and the poor, whatever you want to call it. Monetary and fiscal policy in the last twenty years has exacerbated that gap to a staggering mm -hmm. degree, and it's starting to be felt. And so there has to be a, a redressing of that balance. And the thin end of that wedge is going to be easy wins, like taking rich guys like Toto Wolf and punishing them, whether it's perceived or otherwise, actually bringing the hammer down on these guys will be the first sign that the, you know, the pendulum is going back the other way and there will be some uh, punishment and there will be some attempts to prove to the 99% that the 1% are not above the law, which they certainly seem to have been for the last God knows how long. So, yeah, I, I, I think that stinks to high heaven, Rog, frankly, but I, uh, sadly it doesn't surprise me. Well, that's that the point, isn't free. it? You know, uh, uh, and, and you be, we, we don't want to become, you know, old guys kind of like talking about back in the day because it's always been Old man been yells at cloud, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but, but I mean, honestly, I, I think I could say that most people would look at that transaction or those transactions between Stroll uh, and Total Wolf and say, Listen, legally, yes, no, maybe, but really, really, do you think that's doing the sport but, but any that, good? Isn't that Does the it point, look Rose? right? Isn't that the point? It's, it's about ethics. It's about, it's about should I do this? And then it's a question of if I do, can I get away with it? And the answer is should I do it is no. The fact that he has done it tells you that he's gone through that decision and then got to the next one, which is can I get away with it? And he's decided the answer is yes. So away he's gone. I don't. I don't think you need any extraordinarily high level of ethics to understand that that's not necessarily 
the right thing to do. It doesn't now, look now, good. Look, it there may be more behind it, but yeah, why would you want even the, the, that hanging over you looking like it does? Because it's a really bad look. I, I've always struggled with this thing. I may be wrong, but I think we saw in Drive to Survive that he represents drivers as their manager, drivers who are at opposition teams to Mercedes. Now, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to use the word. I don't want to use the words Chinese wall, but bloody hell. You know, like, this isn't right. It doesn't look right. It doesn't pass my test of the man on the top of the Clapham omnibus. It just doesn't. And yet, and yet, and yet. And, and, and you know, uh, it just, I just find it very sad. You know, yesterday, staying on the Formula One theme, for all the reasons in the world, and, you know, we can debate it a little bit, but, you know, who are they trying to kid? They put on those two laps behind a safety car with no chance of overtaking to fulfill some kind of legal contract yeah. that meant they didn't have to pay back fans or meant that they could say that they, they fulfilled a broadcasting contract. Now, that may sound fine and you say, oh, we got through that, we, we did that well, we, we should pat ourselves in the back, that was a sticky wicket, didn't we do well? To the normal bloke or, or girl, that doesn't look good. You know, we sat through that and it was just a bad, bad day. And I'm not saying there was a better solution. Maybe there was. Maybe they had to honour, as they said here in Italy, had to honour the results of the qualifying and, you know, the wonderful George Russell and things like that. Yeah, maybe. But just be honest with us. Don't piss us around for three hours knowing full well that the, the rain's not going to get any better that, you know, all you're going to do is this pantomime behind the safety car and call it a race and give people points. I, I don't know, maybe it's just getting old, Grant, but I, I just have less and less tolerance for for this kind of like, you know, didn't I manage to get through it? Didn't I manage to kind of like duck and dive and get past the obstacles? People seem to think that's fine these days. I, I think most people realise that that's not the way to conduct yourself. No, I, I think uh, one of the questionable but I will label it an advantage of getting old, Roger, is that you become more cynical because you see this thing over and over again throughout your life, throughout your career, and it gives you the ability to see things for what they are. I mean, there will be a lot of people that won't have thought about it like that, like you have. They won't realise the the commercial benefits of doing what they did and and will have been suckered into that whole thing and, oh, what a shame they couldn't get the Grand Prix off, you know? Let's go over to social media and talk about it and vent and talk and blah, 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 blah. But it really is the cynicism that comes with age that makes you understand the commercial side of these things and the things that people are trying to fulfil to your point, which I'm sure is exactly what happened. But I'm pretty sure the vast majority of the younger audience in Formula One are not thinking of it through that lens. And so, you know, if you are the Formula One body, do you worry about the ageing demographic who are going to look at it and go, oh, here we go again, we understand what this is about? Or do you think, well, you know what, we can get away with this with the core of our audience and the people we are as we've said many, many times in this in these in these conversations, I just I just think they have to be careful, Grant. I think you have to be careful because what I've noticed about this young generation, put whatever label you want on them, Gen Z, whatever, they've got an amazing bullshit radar. They have got an amazing one, uh, and again, uh, maybe switching a wee bit, but you know, I wasn't going to bring this up, but you know, Jake Paul fight. Um, what is it with you? Look and Jake at them Paul. today. Get a room, Rog. Get a room. Seriously. No, no, I'm just saying, you know, like everybody's saying it was fixed because like the guy whacked him, he was on the ropes and then it looked as if like the Mayweather thing, he kept him on. You know, you know, I'm in favour of all these new formats and everything like that, but they've got to be careful because 
you know, this younger generation won't buy that for much longer. Yeah, but Roger, so, Roger, Roger anyway. hang on, hang on, hang on. How, how can you be careful about something that is inherently fake at its core? How can you be careful about exposing to being fake? No, no, I'm serious. That's a serious question. Up. No, it's a serious question. And as you've had a nice family dinner and a few glasses of wine, <laughs> let's, yeah, yeah. let's hear you. I'll, I'll let that one go. But, on, a, on a better day, I wouldn't have given you that space there. <laughs> yeah, that's just like that's just like putting up in the volleyball for the smash there. I, I, right. I was like lax there. Yeah, you were. You were. No, but, no, but no, continue, continue. But no, but continue no, no, I, I agree with it. you about about the the the. The, the fine tuning of, of the younger generation's bullshit monitor. I totally agree with that. But don't forget the people making the decisions are older and probably figure we can get away with this. We can, you know, we can pull the wool over these kids' eyes. What do they know? You know, they're just an audience, right? I, I think they are suspicious. Um, I think they, 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 they do, but the, the, the misstep is going to be made by the people running the sport thinking they can get away with this stuff like Formula One did on the Sunday Rush. That's the era I suspect what will happen. Here we yeah, go. here we've got Matt Rogan here. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, he's saying the same thing. Matt, um, founder, co-founder of uh, Two Circles, one of the one of the top sports operators, uh, creators of value. I mean, he's got his finger on the pulse about, you know, what, what he's also a father of young I think two girls, and then they both they both play sports, and he he'll be hearing the same things I do from my kids. Got to be super careful here, you know. There's just a lot of people that think, especially after the last two years of COVID, we can just get through this. We'll get these games away. Everybody will be happy. Got to be careful, you yeah. know. You don't have a lot of political capital to burn with this younger generation, and yes, new formats, yes, influencer fighters, but just don't get complacent. Only the paranoid survive. Well, look, there's that, um, that, that last quote there from Matt. Why should they start with a position of trust is absolutely right, right? You, no one should. You, trust is something that you have to earn. But when you're trying to shift your audience demographic across um, age, uh, age brackets, then to the, to the people who are running the sports, they think we've earned that trust. We'll just shift it to the next generation. And I think that's a big problem. And I, and I think you're absolutely right, Rose. They need to be really, really careful. Uh, I've just read, read, read this question. I, I, thankfully, I initially read it as Alan Partridge. I was going to get up in arms then for a second, but Alan Partridge, I can take. <laughs> <laughs> now, now Reese isn't somebody you want to upset here because he has got the power of Facebook uh, at a very senior level. Hey, I'm not him. trying to. I'm so, not trying to upset Reese. I, I just, I just thought he was, he was likening me to Alan Partridge, which, uh, <laughs> which would be, which would be fantastic and terrible in equal measure. Well, look, Roger, let well, me listen. Let me, that's a good. Uh, Go on. on you go, on you go, mate. No, go on. On go. no we're, just, we're just like riffing, so like, on you go, you All go right. next. Uh, i tell you what I want to bring up now, and, and there's so many threads to this story, and that is what happened yesterday in Baltimore, Maryland, at the Caves Valley Golf Club and the BMW Championship uh, between Bryce yes. Shambo and uh, Patrick Cantley. Now, it was, um, it was an amazing tournament on a fantastic golf course. You know, the fans are all there. The scoring was remarkable. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play that course last year it is hard i mean 27 under par yes it was wet and yada 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 but i mean it was amazing to watch the quality of golf that we saw you know bryson missing a six foot putt for for a 59 on on the friday i think it was and then this incredible playoff between two guys going backwards and forwards but you know once again what's overshadowed the golf is bryson so uh, bryson was lining up for a for a shot and and that that last round uh, ultimately became essentially a match play. The two of them that. were so far out in front. And, you know, Bryson asked Patrick Cantley to stop walking. And Cantley was on the far side of the fairway 
walking because obviously he hit first every time because Bryson hits it so far. Walking up to his ball now, he's behind Bryson's back. He's you know he's not in his island, and, and it was it was just the way Bryson did it that that felt very Bryson esque. And so you know from that point on, the fans were on his back and giving him stick. Cantley and him then basically didn't speak for the rest of the game. And what I want to bring in here, Rog, is your Barstool Sports, the rig stuff, all this, all these things that you uh. think are great for golf. I'm going to bring all this in because Bryson DeChambeau, well, Bryson DeChambeau has become a lightning rod that is attracting all these kind of cross currents in golf. He has become the only thing that is really box office for golf at the moment. He's certainly the easy thing to write about. And most of it is bad because unfortunately for Bryson, he makes missteps from a personality standpoint of view, seemingly every time he opens his mouth. You know, I feel, I've genuinely feel sorry for the guy, but he's become that polarizing lightning rod. And the people who are polarizing around him are your barstool crowd, right? So that headline that Sean just brought up there, you know, nothing is easy. This was written by Kevin uh, Van Valkenburg, I think his name is, an ESPN journalist. And he, he basically walked with Bryson. At the end of the playoff, he walks, Bryson was offered a ride up the hill. And from the 18th green to the, to the clubhouse is a pretty steep hill at Caves Valley. And um, Bryson was offered a ride in a golf cart. And he was obviously just wanted to walk up the hill to calm down and have a word with himself. So Cantley's on the 18th green getting the trophy. And here he is having had, I think five putts to win this tournament that he missed yes, all of them. Having having hold you know five hundred yards of putts a week, his putting was amazing. So he's you know he's un- understandably upset. He's disappointed. All those things, right? And he's walking up the hill, and the CSPN journalist is following him because he's writing about Brazil. He's not talking to him. He's just following him. And as he gets halfway up the hill, one of these fans who have been way overserved, you could tell the crowd was getting very boisterous, very rowdy, very vocal. As he walks past, shouts at him. Way to go, Brooksy. You know, a reference to that Kepka yeah. uh, DeChambeau rivalry that was amped up on all these barstool places. It was amped up as a you know fun thing and let's get involved. It's all great, you know, TV and great box office. Shouts, you know, way to go, Brooksy. And Bryson snaps, right? And he nothing happened, but he, you know, he said, get this guy the F out of here. But he moved towards this guy, right? He went, his initial reaction was to go at this guy. Now, this is golf, right? There's a rope separating these guys. Now, you and I had talked at length in the last one of these about Malice at the Palace and, and the team going into the into the fans. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, what I think this Barstool culture is doing to golf particularly is amping up that troll-like mentality of everything's fun and games and you know, everything's there to be ribbed and made fun of and you're trying to push people's buttons and get a reaction for social media and all that stuff. Something is going to go horribly wrong. And unfortunately, you know, when Tiger Woods was the lightning rod for golf, it was his golf that people focused on, right? And I'm talking pre-2008, obviously. Um, It was always the golf. And Tiger was, you know, to the point of being surly with the media. He he learned his lesson early in a famous ESPN article where he was in the back of a limo and dressed in a tux and going out and making off-color jokes um, that he got pilloried for, and he learned his lesson. He, he didn't open up to the press. He, he was very polite. He always did his media interviews. He never turned one down. But talk about perfunctory. I mean, you know, it was, I hit nine iron into seven, I hit wedge into 10, and, you know, yeah, I made the birdie putt. It was, you didn't learn anything from a Tiger Woods interview. But he performed his duty, and 
all anyone wanted to talk about was his golf, which was unlike any golf that had ever been played before. Now, here's Bryson similarly playing golf unlike anybody's ever seen being played before. Yeah. And yet, yeah. right, all the talk is about the personality, the faux pas he makes, the marketing faux pas, the... The, you know, the, the, the cameraman, you're ruining my brand and all this stuff, right? And you've talked about this before about he needs to get better advisors doing his PR. And I think you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. But the the added ingredient of this barstool mentality, and I get why you say it's good for the game, but there is a line. And I think that that type of stuff is pushing golfers and fans towards places that could potentially have a very, very negative outcome. So I wanted to get your, your thoughts on that. I don't know how much of it you saw. I didn't see that part of it. I saw the the playoff. I saw the missed putts. Uh, I saw that element where he asked the guy to to step away. First of all, this isn't a value judgment thing. I, no, no, I no, think no, absolutely people not. I agree. Know, know me I agree. by now, you know, like uh, I deal with the world the way it is. You know that famous phrase: the wisdom to know what you can change and what you can't. Um, if you accept that sport is entertainment, and I know many don't, and I don't think you do, but I, I unfortunately do. Um, Entertainment is about black hats and white hats, about the Gary Cooper and the the villain. Um, sometimes they happen naturally, and if they don't, um, good entertainment will create it. You know, Ovet and Co, McEnroe and Borg, um, Ali and Fraser, all of that. Um, I think it's unfair that you say all this barstool as if they invented this stuff. The narrative of the hero and the villain and rooting for one and being against the other has always been around Grant. No, I'm not saying um, that at all about Barstool Rush. Just to be just to be clear, I'm not saying that it's anything to do with hero villain. It's about blokish making fun, poking the bear, trying to get a reaction for social media. It's all about that kind of okay, what what can we do to amp this up? What can we do to get someone to do something that's share worthy on social media. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think they do that. I mean, again, it comes not, back a I'm little not bit. Blaming this, this is very... I'm talking about the culture that that is in. You know, once you have that idea about, here's what we'll do with basketball sports. Great idea. I don't disagree with that. It's been good for golf. As I said at the beginning of this, but once you push that out and this comes back to your oft repeated thoughts about football fans, once you push this out into the crowds, you lose control of how it's, used and and the, the 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 clues that people take from it and what they do with it and that it feels to me is where we are you know bryson was getting barracked the whole way around the golf course right which is unfortunate for him because obviously he's in a in contention to win yeah. a very big check why, do, why don't we ask colin montgomery about what he got when he was in america at the Ryder cups grant this isn't a new phenomenon you know all, all of these things sometimes we we blame the, the new tools of social media for basically just tapping into something that's always been there. That's my view. Yeah, you know, Roger, um, again, we're not, look, we're not disagreeing here. It's, yes, it's always been there, but we didn't have social media. It didn't become a scalp to get Monty to get riled up so you could share it on your TikTok and get everyone to like you and follow it and share it around. And mm. it didn't become, it wasn't any of that. And, and, and you, if you follow golf journalists, you would hear about what happened to Montgomery. If you didn't, you wouldn't, right? Period. It wasn't news. It was news in the golf world, right? And that's the difference, I think. That's that, that's the quantum leap we've taken that makes it that much more dangerous. 
Grant, this is a very, very wide conversation, this one, that, that goes into areas, you know, along the lines of, you know, is it the role of the media to serve the public what they actually want or is it the role of the media to uh, rise them above where they actually sit in life? I had that conversation all the way back to Wapping and Rupert Murdoch and everything like that. I don't have an answer to that. Um, I saw it with Berlusconi, who, who took the Rupert Murdoch route and just served people what they wanted, which in Italy in the 80s was football and women with very little clothes on. That's what he did, right? You know, Barstool is just a new version of giving people what they want. Now, you can say that's awful and, well, you know, it's terrible that people uh, can now kind of push his buttons and get a reaction and film it and put it on his so be it, mate. I mean, as one of the things, the wisdom to know the 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 the, the things that you can't influence. I, I I I hear you, Grant. I just I just think we have to adapt. We we have to adapt to these things. Maybe it's golf and it's your sport and it's the thing you love and you know you don't like it and and. You Listen, know, if there no, isn't no, look, a little no, bit, I, of- I enjoy a lot of that basketball stuff. Right? Some of it's fantastic fun. I, I, and again, I'm not. I'm not blaming Barstool for this. I'm blaming culture, society, social media, whatever you want. My fear is that this is going to end up with Bryson, either either a, a, a malice in the palace um, type scenario at a golf course somewhere where someone snaps and goes into the crowd and has a big punch up. I, I, that's where I feel this is heading. And, you know, do, do we want to see – golf with you know barricades put up along the fairways to stop this happening i i mean mm-hmm. no we don't and, and I just, it's the direction that i'm worried about the direction of travel rather than a particular incident this was a close call nothing more but it, it's the direction of travel that worries me roger i hear you grant listen I, th- I don't know the answer i think bryson is a very particular individual because he isn't doing himself any favors um I wouldn't be as worried as you are, but all, all I would say, and I've heard this ever since I've been involved in sport, the media's job, and, and the good media do this very, very well, is that they, in the build-up to major sporting events, principally around rivalries, will will, will kind of like uh, stoke it up. They, that's their job. You know, whether you call it, you know, the, the, the trailers for the pay-per-view fights or, you know, just getting, that's their job, is to get people to tune in. Uh, that's that's the name of the game. This is the business of sport entertainment. Yeah. You get rivalries, you get people having an opinion. The last thing you want is ambivalence towards golfers. And, you know, that's, I think, go- golf's main problem, uh, certainly since Tiger has probably, you know, lost his sheen, is that most people are pretty ambivalent. You know, DJ, uh, Dustin Thomas, whatever his name is, who cares? Great, great players, you know, who cares? You know, now you've got something you care about. I want to see Brooks and Bryson in the last day of a major. Uh, and I want Bryson to say, get out of my line. You know, stop shaking those coins in your pocket. I, I, that's what I want to see. Right, well, that's... that's... Call, call me a Philistine, right? No, but, I, I, mean, I know, I'm going to call you a Scotsman. <laughs> It's not a Scotsman. It's not a Scotsman. It's like it's the entertainment business, and and, and that's the all I can offer you. But the, we no, are this, in this the is game the, the, the of great, making people but, tune in. Roger, great comment here. Like the guy was drunk trying to impress his buddies. Which is exactly right. That's exactly what it was. He was drunk trying to impress his buddies. And how can I impress my buddies? I'll get Bryson to throw a fit, and who knows, maybe throw a punch. And that's that's the worry. When you got a bunch of drunk yahoos, and it's yeah, interesting sure watching the Golf Channel this morning. The word yahoos was used. I don't know how many times. But anyway, Roger, let's move on. What else you got for me? 
Well, what, what I don't know whether you saw this. Did you see the the, um, the interview Gary Neville and, and Roy Keane? No, Did I didn't. Did you see that? I didn't. Right, so this I is an hour with these two in it. Well, you know, it was done very well. It was two friends. It was an hour long. They were walking in the park. Uh, Roy was with his dog. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, Roy was very, very honest. And there was a couple of things, and I'd recommend it to anybody to listen to it for various aspects. There's a couple. One I want to bring out in particular because, you know, I, I, I do work in the business of sport and, you know, involved in companies that try and sell things to football clubs and things like this. Roy said at one point, and Gary kind of like um, raised his eyebrows in complete agreement when he was talking about his experience. It might have been Ipswich, it might have been Sunderland when Ellis Short, yeah, it was Sunderland. Um, As a said, manager, uh, yeah. Roy, you know, yeah, he was a manager. Yeah. Uh, why are you doing this? Uh, and Roy said in that kind of like uh, Roy Keane way, you know, he actually got me in front of the tactics board and he was making points. And Gary was saying, oh my God, you know. Here's the point I want to make, and 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 this this is important for me because I believe the football industry has got this kind of like us and them mentality, uh, the suits and the boot room, and I, I know this. I know this to be true. The boot room believes that the suits have got no right whatsoever to opine on how they operate. In any of their aspects, I'm not just talking about tactics, I'm talking about recruitment, I'm talking about who plays and who doesn't play, I'm talking about the tech they use or don't use. And, and, and you know, Roy went on to say, oh yeah, I still want to get back into the game, you know, nobody's going to give me a job, but this is like five minutes, and I love Roy Keane, right? You know I love Roy yeah. Keane. This is five minutes after he's basically said, don't ever question me, you know, employ me and then let me get on with it. I mean, like, really, Roy? You know, this is a business that is turning over billions that a club can be losing, and I've done these calculations, could be losing £20 million a year on injuries, on players, on the treatment table. And you expect somebody to employ you as a manager, and you've clearly said five minutes ago, you will not entertain any kind of comment or criticism or accountability by the suits. And and I, and I, I think... This is a major issue for football and you see it every single day and, and I've seen new people come into new owners of clubs and they all go through more or less the same process. Most of the intelligent ones kind of stay away, they appoint a manager, let them get on with it and then are very reticent to, to, to get involved or, or, or say anything. And most of them would never do that in their own business. They would never employ a major employee, C-suite employee and just let them get on with it. They just wouldn't. But they do it in football because they're scared of this us and them attitude. And I'm sitting here, right? I'm sitting here um, on a Monday night and I've read today the, the biblical uh, uh, wasteland of injuries of, of, mil of loads of clubs in Europe all over the place, uh, people getting injured and I know what's happening. It's that the old school believe that this is just the way it is. It's a cost of business. And that famous phrase, oh, it's just bad luck. Mm -hmm. The more that these guys do not embrace 
what new ideas and new tech can do for them, the more they'll be walking in the forest with their dog, wondering why they never get offered a manager's job. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I haven't seen it. I will definitely watch it because uh, I, I enjoy watching those two. But um, look, I, I can't disagree with any of that, Rog. I think, um, you know, again, it's it's big name syndrome, right? I mean, the, the bigger the name you are, the more you feel like you've earned the right to not have to listen to anybody, which is a great shame. Uh, it's a great shame, but it happens not just in sport. It happens in most businesses. It just so happens that in sport you can be successful and famous, and that just kind of amplifies that feeling so it, it yeah mark gordon smith look he's a civil engineer he wouldn't let someone with no experience in his field how to design a bridge exactly right exactly right maybe a stanford bridge i don't know but uh yeah look I, I, it's 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 interesting right i mean you've seen this up close you've you've met it, the there, there's guys. Irrational, irrationality all over the place grant and it is it is uh, accepted uh, without shame as the way we've already done this, you don't know any better. You don't know how to build a bridge. Get lost. But is it, is it all? What, is it one sided? Is it a one way street, Rog? Or are there plenty of people who commit a load of money to a football club and think, "Well, I know how to run it," and so I want to go and tell the coach how to do this stuff? In my in my experience, very few of that. Okay. In my experience, okay. very very few. Um, what I'm saying is that they err on a side of standoffishness that they wouldn't do in their normal business. A guy would or a girl would have a review after six months. They would have KPIs. They would have to justify their decisions. And if they weren't doing it, um, I mean, there's, I mean, there's. Let's take an example of an Arsenal player. I can't remember the guy's name. Um, I noted it down earlier. You know, he came from Atletico Madrid. Um, he he had a, a spotless record at Atletico Madrid for injuries, right? Mm-hmm. He comes to Arsenal and hardly plays a game. Patchley or something his name is. I don't know. And he's had a series of injuries and nobody is saying, how come this guy was saying, uh, uh, Sano, sorry, uh, direct translation from, from Italian, was, was fit and healthy uh, Atletico Madrid, he comes to Arsenal and he is all over the shop in terms of injuries, hardly kicks a ball. And then you hear people saying about Arsenal and their horrible start to the season, oh, wait till we get a full team back. Well, no, that's not good enough. The reason you don't have a full team back is because you're not running your, your football department correctly. And my point is that under any other business, you would not let them get away with it. But we heard in that Roy Keane interview... The attitude, as soon as somebody goes down into that dressing room and asks a question, their eyes start rolling, they look at their colleague the other side of the dressing room and and guffaw under their breath. And I'm telling you, there's nothing that does my head in more than that. Well, Rush, look, maybe that's precisely why Roy Keane doesn't have a manager job. Yeah, there's, there's, there's maybe that's why, Keane, no, like that, maybe that's why Keane doesn't have a job. Maybe that's exactly it. Maybe that is changing, Rog, and, and the and the boardroom is starting to push back. Uh, no, I, there's a quote here from Angus. Um, no, I don't know Jesse. Yeah, I know Angus well. He's based in Canada. Yeah, a top top guy working in Canadian football. So I, I, now, who's Jesse Marsh? Do you do you know this guy, Rog? I presume he's coaching. No, I do in not. Maybe I do not know coaching Jesse Marsh. in the uh, in the MSL, maybe or MLS. Sorry. Maybe I don't know, but um, I, I don't. I don't know who he is, but I know Angus is is a modern thinker. He's an innovator, and and you know, the, I, listen. I live in this world because I live in sport tech, and and I'm right at the edge of old school, new school, and trying to like pussyfoot around. And you know that scene from uh, Moneyball. You know what you're threatening is 
not just their jobs. It's what they believe in. Yeah. It's what they've they they've they they felt their 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 whole existence has been for thirty years. A guy who's worked in football for thirty years that believes injuries is just bad luck is never going to look at new tech and realise it can save 50% of injuries and say, shit, for 30 years I was missing a trick. He's never going to do that. But these people in many clubs are still calling the shots. And the guys above them, I understand why they're doing it. There's zero criticism. They don't want to get the looks like Gary Neville and Roy Keane were given in that interview. And they don't go in. And I'm telling you, it's just, Jesus, you know, uh, other clubs looking to buy Mbappe for 160 million, four months before you can get him for free. Um, you know, three uh, three weeks ago, whenever it was, the Super League Real Madrid complaining about not having any money. Yeah, and, and you're going to spend 160 that you could you could avoid in f- waiting four months. Sometimes this industry absolutely does my head in, Grant. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, Angus just come back. There we go. He's coaching for Red Bull. Oh, he's okay. Okay. He's in the uh, RB Leipzig. Okay. He was at uh, Red Bull New York. Good organisation, yeah. Red Bull. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I apologise. Uh, nothing I can do about the noise outside. Someone's decided to either blow leaves or do something outside. So if that's bleeding through, my my apologies. Rog, let, let me move on. We've got, anyway, uh, what have you got, mate? Got what have minutes. you got for well, me? Well, you know what? There's, there's something that could potentially happen in September, which has only been done by two men in history, in a very, very long history of sport. And I'm I'm amazed how little coverage it's getting. Now, it, it, I guarantee you... Nobody coverage, likes them, Grant. The coverage Nobody is likes about, them. Nobody whatever, likes but them. Let's, let's talk about it, because I guarantee you the coverage is about to ramp up as we move towards the US Open tennis. But Novak Djokovic has a chance to win the calendar year Grand Slam in, in tennis, which is something that only two men have done. Uh, Rod Laver was the last to do it in 1969, I think it was. He did it as an amateur... I think six or seven years before that. Previous to that, it was a guy called Don Budge who did it in 1938. Now, they're the only guys who've done this. And, you know, it's interesting that that's your reaction, Rog, is that, that nobody likes him, right? Because this arguably could settle the argument as to who is the greatest tennis player. You know, we, we've been oh, forced come to... come on, no, 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 hear me out. He hear me can't out. lace hear me Federer's out. boots. Hear me out. Wait, he cannot lace Federer's a, boots. Just because you've had pasta and a few glasses of wine... Calm yourself down there, laddie. Look, like you, I believe Federer is the greatest tennis player of all time. I I will go to my grave believing that unless someone miraculously comes along in the next 40-odd years who's better than him. But we live in a world where the three greatest tennis players of all time are all playing at the same time. And I I will go to the mat as well that these three are the best three to ever play. They're one, two, and three, whichever way you want to order them. Uh, Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal. I think as a tennis player, I would rather watch... Federer lose than either of the other two win because he's just such 100%. a beautiful thing to watch do what he does. But this argument has been raging for a long time now. And, you know, you have to have some sympathy if Djokovic wins the US Open, wins the calendar year Grand Slam, which takes him ahead of Federer in total Grand Slams. That's a very, very strong case, Rog, to be put above Federer. It's not about aesthetics. It's about being yeah, the greatest yes, tennis player of all time. No, yes, listen, I, I'm, I'm being devil's advocate here, right? Because I... I know you are. I know you love Federer. I, I, think I know Federer you love is Federer. not just the best tennis player, but arguably the greatest sportsman of my generation. How, how, how many chess world championships did Bobby Fischer win compared to Karpov? 
No idea off the top of my head. I, I was never one, one two, until, three, until... or four. Right, Karpov is the same as Djokovic. He's a kind of like boa constrictor type player that just squeezes the life out of you because he's got an iron will and will never give up and is resilient. Uh, Bobby Fischer, Kasparov, Boris Spassky, Korchnoi, all of these guys are significantly more talented than Karpov was as a gen tennis. The, the stats don't say that. I don't care how many he wins, Grant. I don't care how many he wins. He's not anywhere close to the tenor, tennis player that Roger Federer is. You not see, anywhere close. I, I, I love that, Roger, because I, I, as much as I love Federer, I wouldn't have the balls to step out and say he's nowhere close. I mean, come on, that's that's an outrageous statement to make. It really is. You, you can't say he's nowhere close to Federer. He's not He's not as beautiful to watch as Federer. He's not as naturally talented as Federer. He just doesn't have something about him. that He's not as likeable as Federer. He doesn't, you know, it, there are all kinds of things you can say about the two that are different. But you cannot sit there with a straight face and tell me he's nowhere close to Federer. Listen, some of us like innovation. Some of us like efficiency. You no, know, it's not about uh, what you like. Federer's it's about... It's about the greatest tennis player, sport right? It is, sport it is, Grant. Steve Davis, the same. You know, he won eight world titles, whatever it was. Everybody loves Alex. Everybody loves Ronnie. You know, it's the entertainment business. You don't go there to see the perfect execution of the actor. You go there to see De, Reno, De, De Niro and Al Pacino. It's it's just the way it is. You know, good luck to the guys. I mean, he probably could have been a great skier as well. He's obviously an immensely talented athlete with a winner attitude that you could not get anywhere else. But as a tennis player, he's not in the same league. He, 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 Federer plays shots that this guy can't even imagine. <laughs> with one hand on the backhand. With one hand on the backhand. I know, I know, I know. Listen, I have a one-handed backhand. Anyway, you believe the same as me. You just no, wanted no, me I to do. say no, it. No, I'm just... I, look, look. The best ever is, it's a spurious conversation at the best of times. And funny enough, I was watching um, something on HBO the other night with Bob Costas talking with Billie Jean King and John McEnroe. And it was really interesting. You know, he asked Billie Jean King about, you know, the greatest ever. And, and she said, there is no doubt that nobody from my era, whether it's Navratilova or Chrissy Evert or any of these women, we wouldn't have come close to the women today, to Serena. So she would have battered all of us. She has better athleticism. She has better training, better equipment. We couldn't have lived yeah. with Serena Williams. Even today, you know, she said, even if you put me at my peak today, she'd have beaten me. Uh, McEnroe said that these guys would beat him seven or eight times out of ten, but he'd get two or three off them. But, it, but it's interesting to hear, you know, others who are in the running, in the discussion about greatest ever, because when we do it as fans, we, we do, we take it back over – previous periods and you know there's the Wilt Chamberlain Bill Russell versus Michael Jordan versus LeBron in basketball there's there's Di Stefano Pushkas best Messi Maradona in football we like to compare over generations but it's interesting to hear two top class athletes who in their prime were the best in their sport say no everything's moved on to a level today that we couldn't even get anywhere near a lot of that is is preparation sports science and equipment yeah Grant. sure you know um Listen, I, I I wouldn't even give you Rod Laver uh, behind uh, Djokovic, no chance. Yeah, no. I, the, I, I, the, the, listen again, I don't disagree. I think I think Djokovic is better than every other tennis player who's ever played the game, except maybe one. And uh, but but this this discussion about you watch when the U.S. Open comes, if he wins it, you watch how many articles there are written that say now he can finally be called the best ever. Nobody will believe them. 
They'll just be done because the editors told them to write it. All Nobody right. will believe them, Grant. All right. Well, look, we've got, uh, we got a few minutes left, Roger. you got one more for me? I know you have. No, I haven't, but I do, I do want to bring something else up, which um, is very important. Um, a couple of weeks ago, many, somebody that many, many listeners will know quite well, quite personally, um, Chris Cairns, had a very serious heart attack. And um, it was well reported at the time um, that he was in intensive care. Chris Cairns has been on this show a couple of times. Apart from that, Chris Cairns is, I think, a friend of ours, certainly a friend of mine. I was incredibly pleased when the news broke to see all the the commentary and the articles on Twitter, uh, which anything I saw was 100% positive. I know Chris pretty well, and uh, I also know his history, and I can say that I have never come across a more honest loyal, top, top bloke of immense resilience like him. And I think all of us, when, you know, we heard the news probably before it broke publicly, were utterly shocked to to hear it. The latest news is that he, he he's awake again. He's had major surgery on his heart to reconstruct it. He now has to go through a complete rehabilitation to see if he can walk again. That's not That's not a given. Chris Cairns is one of the very, very good guys. And if anybody can get through it, and the people will be listening who know him will agree with this, it will be him because he has got the strength of an ox. And, you know, if you do believe, uh, whoever you want to believe in, say a prayer that Chris completely recovers. Yeah, well said, Rog. Well said. It was a, it was a huge shock. And, uh, you know, I'll just add my thoughts to that. I mean, I've, I've been keeping in touch with it for the last few weeks now thanks to you and uh you know chris and his family you know it's a it's a it's a remarkably tough thing um for chris's wife mel and, and the rest of the family to go through and um you know they're, they're coping with it as best they can particularly given the problems that covid presents with being in hospital and visiting and stuff i mean it's just it's just an awful thing to happen but you know chris is is a remarkably single-minded athlete i mean you know anybody is going to go through one of these things, you hope it'll be a top-class athlete because they have the mindset that you need to just overcome this kind of thing. And, you know, Chris, our thoughts and prayers are with you. If you listen to this, um, we wish you a speedy recovery. And to the rest of the family, you know, God bless you all. And we'll, we'll all say a prayer for you and uh, keep you in our thoughts and uh, we'll keep hoping the news is great. Um, all right, well, listen, on that note, it's uh, it's time to wrap this up for another session, Rog. Yeah. As always, it's, uh, it's 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 great fun having these discussions. Thank you, everybody out there, for, for joining us and for the questions and the comments. Um, you helped us through it with some of the things we didn't know. Um, do follow us on Twitter if you're not doing so already. You'll find us at EntertainedR. You can find me uh, on Twitter at TTMYGH. And you can find myself at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. And once again, uh, our huge thanks to Sean in the background and Entourage Media for helping us put this together live. It's uh, These are a lot of fun to do, but we couldn't do it without them. Uh, so Sean and Entourage, our thanks once again. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening and watching. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, Grant. Thank you, Sean.